Hello, my name is David Joseph. I'd like to tell you about how God met me in the storm. My story is about God and His grace. It is about His mercy and forgiveness. I guess the best place to start is in the beginning, my beginning. Most of my memories begin when my mom and my dad were getting separated. I was about five years old. I went to see my grandma because my dad asked me if I wanted to go. I figured, why not? When I go visit grandma, I could eat all the ice cream I can because she said it was good for me. Little did I know it was more than that. For the next year or so, I saw my parents fight over my brother and me as their marriage disintegrated. Since I had been living with my dad and my brother with my mom, the judge decided to keep it that way. My mom came from a Roman Catholic background, and my dad was Jewish, but neither of them practiced their faith. That explains why they didn't push either religion on, on, on us boys. I was able to form my own opinions on how to live and succeed. My main source of information other than school was probably the TV and friends. At some point, I realized my dad wasn't going to be influential in my life, so I decided I would raise myself. I grew up without a father around other than to belittle, punish, or scare me. Even though I followed the world standards, I still tried to hold to some moral ground. I said I wouldn't try drugs. I wouldn't have premarital sex. I'd be good to others. I'd treat other people well. As I got into my teen years, one by one, most of these fell, fell because I had no reason to hold on to them. So now I'm 16, a few months into my junior year of high school. I saw absolutely no hope and no future. It got so bad, I even put a loaded pistol in my mouth with my finger on the tr trigger. For some reason, all I thought of was my mom and my dad finding me and being hurt. Then I told my dad that I needed help. He, he said I'd be okay, don't worry about it. Then I told him I was running away and he told me he'd stop me. For what, I don't know. I was 16 with what seemed like the weight of the world on my shoulders. Then the worst thing that could ever happen, happened. I blamed all my pain and my hurt, rightly or wrongly, on my father. I said to myself, if he hits me again, I will fight back. And he did about 10 days later, and I shot and killed him. Three days later, I was arrested and confessed. On October 1st, 1986, I was sent to the DuPage County Youth Home. The very next day, a man gave me a Bible and said, you might want to read somewhere in Matthew or John. I started in Matthew and read through the middle of Acts in 14 days. And in fact, in six weeks, I had read the Bible from cover to cover. On October 15, 1986, the Lord woke me up. I knew Christ was real. I was in awe that the God of this world gave up everything for me, a sinner. John 3.16 came alive. John 1.12 told me that I was a child of God if I had just received him. I realized that Christ was what I had been searching for all my life. In a small, dark room with no future, no hope, I confessed my sins to God and gave my life to Christ, surrendering my life to him. And in an instant, I had a hope, a future, everlasting life, and most importantly, Christ in my life. Shortly thereafter, I met Pastor Mayfair, and he began to disciple me, making sure I was rooted and grounded, which was good for the storms that lay ahead. Yes, Christ had forgiven me, but still there were consequences for my actions. After two years of court proceedings, I pled guilty, and the judge sentenced me to 30 years in prison. I was a skinny 18-year-old suburban white boy being sent to prison. At first glance, one might think it was a lost cause. However, it was the Holy Spirit's comfort and protection that got me through. I never got pressured to join a gang. I never got ridiculed for my faith. I saw a 
extortions, dirty cops, stabbings, gang fights, riots, and sometimes almost being in the middle. Yet Christ guided, yet Christ guided me through it all. Christ had told me that whatever door I walked through, whatever door closed behind me, whatever door locked behind me, he would be with me. He would always be with me. Amidst the violence, the hatred, the total lack of regard for decency, God was building me up for his use. And throughout many years in prison, God kept me. He also allowed me to study the Bible, lead Bible studies, witness, and just be used by him. Throughout the storms that raged in my life, mostly brought on by myself, Christ brought me through. After being released, he didn't leave me nor forsake me. He said he'd go everywhere with me, and he has. God has blessed me with a good Christian friend like Mark and his family who have invited me into their home as one of the, one of the family, for which I am thankful and know that I am blessed. The Lord has also made it able for me to get a good job at a good company. He's blessed me with a mom who loves me. He put me in a church and has blessed me beyond belief so much that I could go on forever. Well, God in his grace and his mercy completely changed my life. He changed me as well. And his life-changing power can change yours as well. If one person today has their life changed, my difficulties will be worth it. Thank you, and God bless. Well, David's story is uh, an unbelievable story of God's grace, and that's what we're going to be focusing in on today. His powerful grace that, that changed this young man's life. Um, in the days just following his incredible murdering of his own dad and his sustaining grace that sustained him through prison and as he mentioned all the doors he walked through and all the dangers that were always around him his sustaining grace and some 21 years later from the day I met David for the first time I can tell you that he's still walking with Christ still being sustained by his grace the Apostle Paul knew all about God's provision of grace and he had a similar story to David's when he says this in Timothy we get a clue of that he says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I, I hope that we grow in our understanding of what Paul's writing about, what, what David just talked about, the power of God's grace to change a life, the power of God's grace to sustain us in the storms. It really is God's provision in the storms of life his grace and so let's go to second corinthians chapter 12 our text will be found in verses 7 through 10 second corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 10 you can find it on page 822 if you're using one of the bibles in the chair rack in front of you here's what paul writes to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So this morning, we want to talk about the sufficiency of his grace. We want to talk about the power of his grace. We want to better understand how, what is that grace exactly and, and, and how do we access it? What does it look like and how do we tap into it? So first then, the sufficiency of his grace, and that point just flows right out of verse 9. And verse 9 has a context. He's referring to the surpassingly great revelations in verse 7, but when you go back to verse 2, he tells us a little bit about what happened 14 years ago. Read it with me. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He's speaking of himself now. And he says of that experience, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise, to heaven. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. He he goes back to this experience 14 years ago. He says, I was taken into heaven. I don't know if I was transported physically, if it was in the body, or if I just had this vision. But I was there, and I heard things, and I saw things that are inexpressible. In fact, I'm not allowed to share those things. But here's what I want you to know. That experience could have brought me to a place of being spiritually self-righteous, conceited, arrogant, a very egocentric person. But God sent me this thorn to humble me, to keep me from that attitude, to keep me from being conceited. So what is this thorn? Well, here's what we know about it from the text. He got it 14 years ago. We know it's given to him by God. Ultimately, that's the sense of there was given me a thorn. The expression there in the Greek is given by God sent through this messenger of Satan, and it was a tormenting thorn. It has something to do with his body. We're not sure what it is. It's a thorn in his flesh. And the beauty of this thing is, because we don't know what it is, none of us can say, well, I don't have that. I can't relate to it. But in our suffering, especially in our physical suffering, we can say, hey, Paul had that too. We know what he did about this thorn that brought him great torment and harassed him for 14 years he prayed that God would take it away and we know that God didn't because he's been dealing with it for 14 years but what God did say to him is verse 9 my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness now When you think about God's answers to our prayers, you usually typically think he could say one of three things. Yes, no, not now, not yet. Okay? My grace is sufficient for you is a very important word to hear when God says to us, not yet, or no. 
And Paul says, I prayed, and then I heard this from Christ, and now I've just rested in this, that God may not take this away. It may be one of those no's, and I'm not sure. It may just be one of those not yet's, and I just got to hang in there some more. But here's what I know. Here's what he told me. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, how sufficient? Well, it was sufficient in this way. That for 14 years now, Paul has continued to do what God's asked him to do and to be. His messenger, his apostle, to live out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he's been going on, persevering in this call, though he's had this thorn, because of God's sufficient grace. So maybe you find yourself in that kind of spot, going, man, I've been in it. I've been under it, and I've been praying too. Just like Paul prayed, just like Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. And now I'm wondering if this is what God's saying to me. My grace is sufficient for you. It's not yet. It's no right now. Am I willing to believe that? Am I willing to accept that as actually a good word from God to me? His grace is sufficient, Mark. His grace is sufficient, friend, for you right now in your storm. Well, one of the reasons we know that his grace is sufficient is it's Jesus' grace. In fact, if you got one of those translations where they put Jesus' words in in red ink, you you notice it's, it's red ink here. And by the way, red ink doesn't mean more important. It just means those are words that Jesus spoke. All of this is God's inspired word. But we note that when he says in verse 9, he said to me, Paul's saying, Jesus said this to me. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And here's what we know about Jesus in grace. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16, he says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So here's what we know about God's supply of grace in Christ. It never runs out. That's why James could say he gives more grace. James chapter 4, verse 6. So whatever your storm, God's saying to you, Christ is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. No matter how big the storm is, no matter how long you're going to have to go through this, my grace will never run out. It is sufficient and it is powerful. It's powerful. Not only sufficient, but powerful. His powerful grace is seen in two ways. To deliver us and to sustain us in the storms. Paul knew about God's delivering grace. So he writes about it at the very first chapter of this letter. Chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what he says about God's delivering grace. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Did you just hear what he said? I mean, this is the super apostle. I call this guy the gospel stud of the New Testament. I mean, after Christ, he's it. 
He's unbelievable. And what does he say here in verse 8? Hey, I got to a point that it was so far beyond my ability, our ability, Timothy's and mine, to endure so much bigger. And, and I was so down and discouraged that I despaired even of life. I, I had this death sentence over me. I thought it was over. But he goes on to say, this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. On a God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul says, hey, I know about God's delivering grace. He delivered us. He will, and he will continue to deliver us. Some of you know about that. His delivering grace that just took you right out of the storm or allowed that storm to just blow right out of your life, and you're going, Whew, thank you, God, for your delivering grace. But some of us need to be reminded this morning that the evidence of God's powerful grace sometimes doesn't come in deliverance. Sometimes it comes in sustaining us, in strengthening us to stay under the weight of that storm, to remain under it, to endure it. That's what he was talking about when he says, hey, 14 years I've had it. The thing I'm telling you about in chapter 1, about in Asia, this thorn is different than that. He hasn't yet delivered me from that thorn. I'm still dealing with it, but his grace is powerfully sustaining me in that, helping me to stay faithful to all that God's called me to do. Now, Paul's response in ours should be this, and I have to say, it's not my natural response. His response in verse 9 is, in verse 9, the second half of it is, hey, I'm gladly going to do this. So he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. And in the original language, the first word in that sentence is gladly. Gladly. I'll boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then he shows himself strong. So when he's boasting about his weakness, he's not boasting about himself. What he's boasting about is Jesus is now more clearly seen in my life. There was a chance where this incredible experience I had would have led me to put myself forward in such a way that when people looked at me, all that they would see is, wow, that guy is an incredible guy. He's actually been in God's very presence in heaven. And all that they see when they looked at me was me. But I'm so happy that God gave me this thorn that just wiped me out of all my resources, that just lowered me down so that I wasn't conceited in myself. And in that point of weakness, God created a backdrop, me, my weakness, to beautifully display his strength, his glory. People are seeing Christ in me because of my weakness. And for that, I'm glad. So that he could write in verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight can you say that? Well, what you're going through right now, 
I delight in my weaknesses, in the things that are bringing great insult to me, in the hardships that I'm going through, in persecutions that I'm dealing with, in these difficult things. Paul said, I delight for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I don't know if you've ever seen it where you're looking at someone who's going through it and you go, I don't know how they're doing it. I just can't figure it out. I think of my friend B. I told you about her months ago. This this dear woman who um, was the coach of Indiana women's basketball. I told you she went on this trip to China, got some bad fruit, and that fruit has just devastated her immune system, her body. For almost 20 years now, her life has been decimated by disease and infliction after infliction. She's in her young 60s. She's in a nursing home. And when I look at B, what I see is God's power sustaining her. I go, I I don't know how she's doing it. And B constantly is reminding me, it's not me. It's Christ. Paul's saying, when you look at me and you see me enduring all the things that he's gone through, and he went through far more than this thorn in the flesh, beaten three times to an inch of his life, shipwrecked at sea for a couple of nights, stoned and left for dead. He says, it's not me. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in me. In me, And so he would say to his young disciple, you then, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So his grace is sufficient. His grace is all-powerful. So, by the way, what is that grace? What, what are we talking about exactly? And, and how do I access it? Well, his grace is this freely given gift. It's his favor. It's his goodness that overflows abundantly to his, to his friends, to those who know and love him. It's his goodness that just overflows, washes over us. It's, it's kind of like, not the garden hose, but the fire hose. It's so strong, it just can knock us off our feet. That's his grace. How do we access it? There's four key conduits, four springs, if you will, four sources of his, of his grace. His presence, now given through the Spirit, His Word, His people, and prayer. So we know about His presence. He is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We looked at that two weeks ago in Psalm 46. Look at this verse in Isaiah 43. And boy, if you're going through it, wondering where God is, meditate on this one. God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So God sent us his son, Emmanuel, who was with us. And before Christ left, he said, I'm sending you my spirit. Who's going to be with you? This comforter. He's going to be with you at your side. This one who gives life will sustain your life. And what does the Spirit do for us? How does this grace get metered out abundantly through the Spirit? Well, as He prays for us, He intercedes for us. He takes our groanings and He brings them to God the Father. He gives peace in the midst of the storm. He guides us in all truth as He takes us to the truth of God's Word. He makes us more like Christ. There's one thing you want to remember about the Spirit's work. It's this. 
to exalt Christ, to lift up Christ, to make him great. And so the Spirit's grace in your life is going to help people see Christ more in your life. He's going to help you become more like Christ as he uses even the storms to show Christ in and through us. Well, there's the word. The word that Paul calls the word of grace in Acts chapter 20. This word that guides us, that helps us fight temptation, that ties down our feelings to truth. This word that takes us to God's promises like Psalm 119 verse 50. It says this, My comfort in my suffering is this, Your promise preserves my life. His word tells us how to live in the storms. Tells us what it looks like to worship, Job 1. Tells us how to put our arms down and stop fighting and trust him, Psalm 46. It reminds us what God might be doing of drawing us closer to him, making us more like him. Hebrews 12, what we looked at last week. His word, so important in all of life and especially in the storms. It's the wisdom of God. It's that wisdom that James writes about that we can ask God for. This wisdom that he talks about in the midst of trials. And he says, hey, if you lack wisdom, any one of you, you should ask of God. God gives it generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to him. It will be given to you. I have a friend she and her husband were part of our ministry staff back in Wheaton. And Kathleen had one of those very sad, hard experiences of losing a baby as she was about five months along in carrying this child. She'd just been to the doctor. The doctor had confirmed that the pregnancy was no longer viable. And he said for her health's sake and the next week, he would need to and recommend inducing labor. And so she writes about the experience following the doctor's words and confirming the death of her baby. And here's what she said about the supply of grace that came from God's word. Over the next several days, as I continued to carry the child, my sorrow over the baby's death formed a thick, heavy barrier between me and sleep. At night, I would creep quietly downstairs, find a sleepy welcome from my huge, gentle mastiff dog, and curl up on the couch with her at my feet and a hymnal and a Bible in my hands. I roved through Scripture as a desperately hungry person might make her way through the most wonderful smorgasbord. All alone, I held out my plate. I tasted this and that verse, stopping to take in each distinct flavor. I tried some of my most favorite Scriptures, and they tasted better than I ever remembered. I tried some more unfamiliar dishes and marveled at their satisfying flavor. I was hungry and I was deeply filled. At a time when I felt terrible emptiness inside, I inhaled the breath of God by taking Scripture into myself. At a time when I did not know what to say to God, through His Word, I was able to open myself to Christ who in the beginning was the word. At a time of meeting death, even carrying it inside of me, I was letting the very life of God into my heart. The Bible's words were the flavor of that life to me so that I could taste it 
They were God's blessing on my head as I was bowed down low and they lifted me up. The power of God's word, his gracious supply, the word. Well, then there's this whole matter of his people. God's grace flows through his people as they weep with us. You remember Job's friends? The best thing Job's friends ever did was what they did the first week. They came alongside of Job, and they didn't say a word. They just wept with him. They just were there with him. They got it perfectly right. We're to weep with those who weep. We find ourselves wondering, what what should I say when we go to the visitation? What, What should I say to my friend who's lost a spouse or a child? I don't know what to say. It's good to remember, sometimes not saying anything is the best thing. Just coming alongside and weeping with them, hugging them, embracing them, sharing your love. This gracious supply flows from his people as they share the comfort that they've received from God. And now in this exchange of saying, I've been in a hard thing and God met me, gave me grace, and now let me share you some of the grace that God gave me. As they pray for us, as they give, addressing our real needs, as they carry our burdens. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. And for us, when Lori was going through her cancer, our, our friends at church just stepped up and just tangible, everyday things that were huge for us. It was those regular meals. It was the women who came and cleaned the house. It was the person who mysteriously shoveled out the driveway after a snowstorm. It was those friends that we barely knew, Roger and Janet, who walked in one Sunday night, the night before Lori's surgery, and said, hey, we've got lunches for all the kids. 25 lunches already made up. There was stuff in the boxes there that our kids have never seen in their lunch. Man, they were so excited. (laughs) But here's what was amazing. Not only had they written each kid's name on each of those bags, but they'd written a note for every day to one of my kids and placed in there a scripture that they thought might encourage them. These are huge things. There were the women in the neighborhood who sewed the quilt and, and all signed it for Lori. There were the notes and the cards with scripture. There was the kind of while you were out bedroom makeover project. On and on it went. We knew Christ's people loved us in that place, but boy, do we know it so much more. We were overwhelmed by the kindness and grace of God that just was flowing out every day through the people of God. Paul speaks of this very thing when he says, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. How do you access it? Through God's people. Friends, if if you're not part of community here, and community here has got to be more than just the hundreds of us gathered here this morning. It's got to be in a small group. It's got to be in a team that's serving together. You're going to rob yourself of the opportunity to share that and to receive that. God's grace through his people. And then finally, there's prayer. Our prayers on our own behalf and then the prayers of others on our behalf. And here's what Paul says about prayer. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So when you find yourself in the storm and you've got that sense of anxiety where your heart starts to race, your chest is tight, and you can't stop thinking about it, you can't get a good night's sleep, he's saying whenever you have that, don't be anxious. Take that thing that concerns you right now and present it. Just walk it over to Jesus and say, you take it because I can't deal with this. It's too big for me. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to keep giving it to you. And what God does is, as we do that, he gives us peace. And that's where he goes on in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will protect, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've always believed in the power of prayer. Boy, going through Lori's cancer, I was just so much more aware of its power to sustain us. I I often said this, we're riding on the prayers of God's people. The encouragement for someone to come up to Lori and say, I pray for you every day. It's huge. James says the the prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman is powerful and effective. When David Joseph shared his story at our church back in Wheaton, A woman came up to me after the second service, Joy Bright. She said, you know what? My daughter sat behind David in class. She came home one day and said, there's this guy who always has this leather jacket on. He he had this written on his jacket in safety pins. Help. And then I heard about how he murdered his father. I've been praying for David all these years, 15, 16 years. I didn't know him at all, but I've been praying for him. And now I'm hearing his testimony this morning. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. God's heard my prayer. He's changed this young man's life. He's a follower of Christ. The power of prayer. Now, how do we bring this home? I think there's a few questions that we need to ask ourselves. The first is this. Do we really believe Jesus when he says to us this morning, in the midst of your storm, my grace is enough for you. It's sufficient for you. Do we really believe it? A second question. Am I tapped into this fourfold conduit of grace? Am I tapped into the Spirit what the Spirit brings and does in my life? Am I I open to the Bible, the Bible's truth, that life-giving truth that Kathleen was talking about? Am I in community with people? Have I even told anybody about my storm? Am I tapped in to that resource of grace and prayer? Or don't I want anybody to be troubled by it? Because I'm sure there's a lot worse storm. Boy, I hear that one all the time. Oh, I know someone's going through something a lot worse than mine. This is what God has given us. And it is our privilege to access that. And we got to ask ourselves, am I tapped into the overflowing supply of his grace? Do I even know Christ as my Savior this morning? Do I even know him? And will I be a source of that grace? Will I be willing now to be a conduit of that grace? And finally, and most amazingly, Do I have the attitude Paul had? This is what's convicted me so much. 
Paul's attitude was, if Christ is more clearly seen in my life through this storm, I am happy that people would better see Christ. Is that my bottom line? That I delight that Christ would be magnified in my life? Or do I want so much to get out of this thing? Am I fighting so hard that the only thing people see in my storm is me? Paul said, I delight so that people would see him even in my weakness. Let's pray. And so, Holy Father, by your grace, help us. May your grace wash over us like the rains we just sang about. May your grace give life to someone who realizes, I don't know you. I don't know your son. May your grace wash over us, Lord, so that we would be people who would delight and even boast when you bring us to the end of ourselves so that you can display the glories, the power, the sufficiency of your son in and through our lives. Help us, we pray. For your honor and glory, amen.